Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. Before we get started, a couple of things. I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps a ton. Get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it's Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn. Again, subscribe. Share it with people you know. Love Texas Longhorn Sports. And if you've ever wanted to start a podcast, we've got a cool offer for you. Our podcast host, Podient, is actually offering all of our listeners the opportunity to get a 14-day free trial of their premium membership and 25% off your first three months of premium if you sign up using the code LONGHORN. That's Podient, P-O-D-I-A-N-T dot C-O. Use the offer code LONGHORN. And Kyle and I both love Podient. It's a really easy a way to get a podcast out there. They handle all the technical stuff. All you do, you record, you edit, you upload it, and then once you've got your feeds established, it just sends it out there, gives you great reporting. It's phenomenal. So again, we'd love to extend that offer to you. If you want to sign up, go to podient.co and sign up using the offer code LONGHORN to get a 14-day free premium trial and 25% off your first three months of a premium membership. Well, my name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week, and I am joined by my good friend, the illest, the realest, Back in the Lone Star State, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you doing, man? Live from Houston, Texas, my friend. This is a uh, a great feeling, a great time to be recording with you. We're doing this Monday night, but I uh, got to spend a whole weekend in Houston and then not fly, uh, get on a plane and fly, which is uh, which is a great feeling. So I'm in good spirits again, man. I uh, we'll talk about some things that weren't the best part of the last week, but ultimately uh, I'm sitting in sitting in a good spur- spot in the catbird seat. Uh, had a good Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to you, Joe. Much appreciated. Much appreciated. Yeah. So we'll stay in good spirits for, I don't know, another 30 seconds or so, and then we'll depress ourselves. So we'll start talking about some baseball. Uh, we have our next of our summer previews. We've got TCU. Uh, this one looks to be a fun one. And then also Texas hired a new track and field coach. So we'll close the show out with that. And then obviously we will bang the drum to send you on with your week. So let's just... Let's just pull the bandaid off, Kyle. Let's 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 just think and do it. All right. So, Texas, after you know a phenomenal showing in the super regional round, being able to uh, you know head to Omaha for the thirty sixth time, which is great. Uh, but Omaha wasn't the goal. Omaha was not the goal. The national championship is the goal, and Texas got off to a rocky start toward their chase for a national championship. They actually. Got up on uh, on Arkansas, the Arkansas Razorbacks, 2-1 early on. Uh, things started to spiral out of control. And then after a three-hour rain delay, uh, Texas ended up giving up eight runs in an inning, falling to the uh, the Arkansas Razorbacks, a 11-5 decision, uh, sending themselves to the uh, losers or elimination bracket, I guess is the more politically correct say, way to say it, losers bracket where I come from, uh, to face <laughs> off with uh, the f- number one seed in the tournament, Florida Gators. So, Kyle, uh, what, what? What happened? Like what? What the heck happened? We were on such a roll. What? What happened? Well, um, Arkansas has some bats, and that's that's not a new thing. That's that's something we saw early in the year. Um, Texas pitching has gotten significantly better, or better production out of their pitchers um, towards you know the end of the year. But we always knew that this was an Arkansas team that could come out and get hits, get runs. Um, and, and Texas had played a team just like them in, in Tennessee Tech. You know, in the end of the Super Regionals, the difference was, of course. Even though I called this uh, Omaha our second home field, this is a game away from home. And as we highlighted all year, for whatever reason, it's like two different teams. So the Longhorns have one more game, at least, uh, to prove that uh, that isn't the, the, the true summation of their season, a Jekyll and Hyde of, of home and away. Um, because, you know, they, they just didn't, they lacked a certain sharpness. And, and Nolan Kingham um, had a pretty good outing. He had a tough outing. They they got uh, they got some hits on him. You know, they... they, they Put runners on base, but he was able to work out of it. I mean, through after Arkansas went up early, I was a little bit worried, but but through five, Texas was up on the pigs uh, two to one, and uh, I kind of was a little bit optimistic. Um, for me, there was a play that kind of felt like the actual momentum defining play, and I'm not talking about the unbelievable form tackle from the security guard um, on the Omaha grounds crew on the uh, the fan on the field uh, from Arkansas, but the actual uh, bottom of the fifth, 
there was a double play chance where uh, Hamilton just skied one um, that left a, a runner on first with two outs for the next runner to come out and hit a two-run shot to, uh, to kind of change the momentum in Texas to go down 3-2. Um, that was in the fifth, and then everything in the sixth, I'm sure. If you watch that game or if you've tuned in, that's the thing that you've seen on, on the highlights. That was, I don't know, I'm just going to say it, maybe the worst inning of Texas baseball that I've ever seen. Um, and not only because it took three hours and 32 minutes to slowly and agonizingly die. It was like, you know, you, how do you, how would you die? You know, I've had these conversations as kids. What's the worst way to do it? You know, the, whatever the slowest, agonizing, worst, most painful way to do it, that this was the equivalent of that death. Um, Came in three two and left eleven to two, um, just just a just a brutal brutal inning that that saw six Texas pitchers throw sixty two pitches like I said over the course of three hours and at one point ten straight swine from Arkansas reached base so um, you know it, it was tough I, I don't know as an offense you, they got a couple more runs on the board but I don't know how you come back with that rain delay with that you know just kind of Molly. I don't want to use that. That's that's not the right instance. I'm going to pull back on Molly Wapping. That that um, Donnie Brooking. I don't know if that's right. Whatever. They they took us behind the woodshed. We'll say that. Um, Keep it old school. Yeah. You know how you come back from that is tough. You know, kudos to Texas for showing a little fight. Um, they left bases loaded. I think in the eighth, and you know had a chance to really make it a better game, get back in it. But uh, you know, at the end of the day, I think that was the the backbreaker that that they could never get back up from. You have those they call it like quicksand innings mm. or quicksand games where you fight and you pull and you you try and you try and it just seems to get worse and worse and and that's that's just what that that rain delay kind of just killed the mojo that was already uh, a little bit off after like you mentioned that that missed double play. Uh, it just it felt like Texas was a step slower than they'd been at least for the last three to five weeks. I don't know. Basically how they closed the season. Uh, not We're going to exclude the Big 12 tournament because they didn't really show up for that. Uh, and then the, the regionals and the super regionals. So, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not necessarily sure what they do to fix it. And I don't know if, if coming out against Florida is going to be uh, the best way to, uh, to get that right. Because Florida is a phenomenal, phenomenal baseball team. So, uh, like we mentioned, Texas is going to face uh, Florida in the elimination bracket, uh, Tuesday afternoon. So we'll, we'll know the results of that pretty quickly. Yeah. The, the, the best thing I can say about that, Florida is a very, very good team, very deep. Um, but they have one of the, the other two finalists for the golden spikes award, along with, uh, Cody Clemens. They have Brady Singer, who might just be the best pitcher in baseball this year. He's certainly top two or three um, but it's just just been incredible for them and he threw against tech and you know obviously they lost that game so there's some solace to say you don't have to pit don't have to face you know the absolute ace of that staff one of the best pitchers in the country but they're also loaded in the bullpen so um, it's not like it's going to be an easy road for texas this will certainly um, be one of the better pitching staffs they face this year but uh, you know maybe Maybe this is what Texas needed, a little bit of a wake-up call. Don't know why it takes getting here to, to have it, but, um, you know, get get the arms. I, I imagine hopefully we'll, we'll see maybe Sugart uh, start this one, um, who's, who's besides coming in in relief and not really been able to do much versus the Razorbacks, uh, has been kind of the hottest pitcher in Texas's staff the, the last month or so. So, you know, maybe it kind of lines up all right for us and, and – you know, we're able to get some things going. And, and Cody Clemens had a tough outing. He probably, um, you know, a guy who'd just been laser focused in and seen the ball like a beach ball, um, had a, had a tough, a tough game. So maybe, you know, this snaps a little something in for him. He gets locked in. Uh, we can end our terrible epidemic of, of stranding runners in scoring position. It wasn't that Texas couldn't get guys on base. They just couldn't capitalize on that. And so if they can get one of those games where they put it all together um, and they, they get clutch hits with runners in scoring position and they can just kind of do enough to, to keep Florida from, from getting on the board too much and, and, and can get – if this is a low-scoring game, I feel good about – Texas's chances to come out in a three-two win. If it's a, if it's a fourteen-to-ten game, I, you know I don't feel so good again about that. So we'll see. It's all going to kind of hinge on on what the the Texas arms are able to do. Let's let's just get a little bit of good news out of there. You mentioned Cody Clemens who struggled, uh, but he was uh, named to his fifth 
All-American uh, team, I guess, or received his fifth All-America honors. He was named uh, to the ABCA Rawlings first team All-American. He was the, selected as the second baseman for that team. And again, like I mentioned, his fifth All-America honor. So he got Baseball America, D1Baseball.com, Collegiate Baseball, and NCBWA. Yeah, that's uh, that's well deserved, man. I, I think I think Cody Clemens is, is I've said it before on this podcast, if not the best uh, infielder in, in baseball, he's he's certainly um, on a list that doesn't go uh, deeper than than probably the amount of hosts that we have on this podcast. It's a short short list. So we are 74 days away from kickoff, so that means we are smack dab in the middle of our summer previews. We are in week four of the Texas schedule, TCU for the conference opener, and we are welcoming in uh, Melissa Trebwasser from uh, Frogs of War, one of the co-managing editors over there. Melissa, thank you so much for taking some time out to uh, join us on the pod today. Absolutely. I'm glad to be here. So we're going to talk... Just TCU give you a brief preview of it. And I guess this is becoming a theme for uh, these interviews. The last four weeks, you've asked a very similar question. Uh, But, you know, let's just start with the quarterback position because it feels like everybody that Texas is playing, at least to start their season, has a question mark there. So Kenny Hill graduated, personal favorite of mine, Kenny Trill. Always love that guy. Uh, It seems like Sean Robinson is going to be the man. Is that is that accurate? Is that is he the one that's going to be under center? You know, it looks like it by all appearances. That's what we're expecting to happen. But Sonny Cumbie and Gary Patterson are notoriously very, very quiet about quarterback competitions. And so until Sean Robinson is under center on opening snap of opening weekend, I won't believe he's the starter unless Gary tells me directly otherwise. Um, You know, it's, it's a really interesting time in the Big 12 because it's not just um tcu and and it's most of the conference like you were saying seems to be looking at a new quarterback or a different quarterback or an unknown outside of probably texas and west virginia there's a lot of question marks still um but i think that sean robinson you know had one start last year he was elevated into qb2 into the backup role um from really opening day a year ago despite the presence of a couple of uh, redshirt juniors on the roster and so by all accounts it's his job um He's a really, really interesting case. He's a superb athlete, uh, just an insane athlete. He's big. He's strong. He's fast. Um, he struggled in Lubbock in his one start last year throwing the ball, but was unbelievable running the ball, directing the offense, um, and showed a lot of leadership for a true freshman. So he has a ton of ability, but there's a ton of question marks, mostly when it comes to his accuracy. And in uh, you know Sonny Cumbie's offense, in, in Curtis Looper's offense, accuracy is a huge part of it. And if you can get the ball – in the right space to the right guys, you can really do some special things. But as we saw with your boy Kenny over the last couple of years, if accuracy <laughs> is a little bit of an issue, it can kind of throw the whole machine off. Um, so there's going to be some growing pains. It's not ideal to throw him out here and have in week three Ohio State and have in week four Texas, uh, but he's going to have to learn pretty quickly. I think he's a guy that can do it, but there's going to be plenty of competition for him as well. Um, there's a, a transfer from Penn who has been really impressive in spring ball named Michael Collins. And then of course the, the true freshman, the highest rated quarterback to ever sign at TCU, Justin Rogers is supposedly right. ahead of schedule uh, by injury. So I think it, it's a good situation where Robinson will be the guy, but he won't be able to rest on his laurels. He's really going to have to work to keep that role. So it's his job to lose is probably a, a good way to, to say I think that. That's, I think that's fair at this point. Unless something dramatically changes, yeah, I think I think everyone he's the guy that TCU football is hoping is the clear cut starter on opening day. So you, you mentioned it kind of in your in your breakdown there. So he's more of the the dual threat guy, a bit of a runner, um, not necessarily, I guess, more of a question mark on his on his arm and his accuracy. Well, his arm strength is unbelievable. Um, you know, he can make all of the throws to use that you know super cliche uh, phrase, but. <laughs> Um, the, the problem that, T- that TCU fans are, are seeing is that he had one game and it was in Lubbock and I was there for that day. And it was one of those typical Lubbock football days where the wind is swirling oh, yeah. in a million directions, 30 miles an hour. It was cold. It was miserable. You know, he didn't have a lot of prep going into the game knowing he was going to be the starter because it was an injury situation. There were some question marks. So it's really hard to get a read. Um, he played at DeSoto. He brought DeSoto the first state championship. And so we saw him at, you know, playing at a high level in high school. 
flashed some accuracy, but it was really hard to get a read on him based on that one game that he had in Lubbock in those conditions and then playing in garbage time against some pretty bad teams. We didn't get to see a whole lot out of him. I think he's got it in him. The question will be, as a true sophomore, is he going to be able to deliver the ball on time in the right place consistently against you know teams that actually have a defense, not just the Red Raiders? Yeah, <laughs> and we say it all the time on this podcast: playing in Lubbock is like playing on Mars. So I don't. Yeah. It's hard to judge a guy based on a performance <laughs> yes. in Lubbock. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he'll. We'll know early. We'll we'll know by the end of September if this guy is is special or not because he's going to see some really good teams, some really good defenses, and and have an opportunity to prove himself. And you mentioned it, you know, briefly there for a second. TCU doesn't really have a cupcake you know, opening to the season, which seems to be a theme in the Big Twelve. But you know, they've got Ohio State. They're, uh, I believe, they're at home against Iowa State, and then the, Ohio State, and then they travel to Austin. So how? Oh, no, you've you've done a real bad thing. Is that you've said at home, um, and you've hit a real sore spot that uh, we have your current athletic director to thank for, um, and that is that game was supposed to be a home and home, and it was supposed to be a home game this season, but. Good old Christelle Conti sold out for five million bucks to send that game to Jerry World. So that's week three oh, wow. at the neutral site. Yeah. So thanks, thanks, Chris, for the five million bucks on your way out of town, buddy. Um, appreciate that. But <laughs> yeah, that's a, a real, real sore spot for TCU fans that are looking at the ticket prices for the Cowboys Classic and, and wanting to have a little bit of a, a heart attack there over those. So I um, did not mean yeah. to pick that scab. I'm glad to have the ammunition though. I will start texting and needling all of my TCU friends. Thank you for that. Yeah, please, please do that. That that'll be great. We'll really, you'll get a lot of responses out of that one. But anyway, <laughs> sorry to uh, bogart the conversation there. No, but. no, no. I hey, I need the context, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I need I need somebody to keep me in line. Uh, <laughs> so let's on that. Okay, so at Jerry World neutral site, and then into Austin. Um, what like. How does Gary Patterson keep his guys up for basically what could be two season-defining games, week three and week four? Well, I mean, again, I just want to personally say a thank you to Texas for being back again this year um, and being predicted to win the Big 12 again this year and TCU being listed as an underdog to Texas again this year. Um, It's not hard. It's not hard to keep uh, TCU – players and coaches and fans fired up for that game uh, thankfully because despite the fact that TC has had a lot of success in the last four years over the Longhorns um, they're still not getting that respect on a national level when it comes to actually playing the game and so I can guarantee you unless TCU does something insane in week three against Ohio State they will go to Austin as underdogs and that's really all the motivation that you need um, you know Gary Patterson has no trouble getting those players fired up because he can remind all of them that weren't offered by Texas you know, they come from the state. He can remind he can remind all of them that despite the fact that, you know, I think the, the past four year score has been something like nine hundred and sixty to fourteen or something. It feels about, that, about right. About right, yeah. Uh, that that TCU will be an underdog in Austin. He can remind them, you know, that the, all the, the opportunities that, you know, he's had to go that you know, Sonny Cumbie and they've all said, No, we, we want to fight with you guys and so I don't think motivation for Texas will be a factor. The thing that you worry about is will there be an emotional letdown if it's either a big win against Ohio State and a, a shocking upset or, you know, one of those kind of devastating gut punch losses. Um, but I think that the one thing Patterson has always done well is that, that he turns around. It very rarely does a one bad loss turn into two or one big win turn into a bad loss. Um, and we don't yeah. have to go too far back to remember the last time it happened. It was a. Uh, in that 2013 season when they, they blew it against SMU following a big win over, I don't remember who it was, and but it might have been the, or might have been the OU year. I don't remember. But um, he, can, he can point to times where that's happened, but it hasn't happened often recently. And so I, I think that, that they'll be ready to play. It's just a matter of, you know, what does Texas look like? What does TCU look like in week four of the season? Because you, you all will be coming off a big game too, right? That's USC the week before. So that's right. That's kind of right. levels, a, levels the playing a, field a bit. Yeah, it will be. It'll be nationally televised. We'll have a pretty good idea on both sides. Yeah. I think that will tell you what each team is looking for. The interesting mm-hmm. thing I was looking at the schedule is y'all play uh, SMU, which I, I know is probably not your biggest rivalry, but is still a a rivalry um, coming up right into right into TCU and then Texas. So it really is almost three um, kind of big games that you have to be have to be keyed in for. So oh, yeah, uh, and then you turn around, you've got Iowa State, and then I think OU and Texas Tech. It's, there's like a five week stretch for TCU that could really make or break a season. 
Absolutely. Yikes. Uh, so, you know, you mentioned in, in the breakdown of the quarterbacks that accuracy is huge, and, and it seems like that offense wants to spread the ball around. Uh, and, you know, uh, among all of the positions that seemingly got hit with uh, gra- the graduation bug, I guess, is the weirdest way I could possibly say that. Uh, <laughs> wide receiver looks to be uh, a position that there may there may need to be a reload. So who who are TCU fans or who are the coaches expecting to kind of step in and fill the shoes of those guys that are that are no longer on the team? Well, you know, TCU did lose a lot. You're absolutely right. Um, several pretty key players with with pretty decent stats graduated. But the nice thing about an offense that spreads the ball around like the Frogs do um, is that it's not like you're losing a Josh Doxson and you have to replace that kind of production. Um, what you need to do is find five or six guys that can, you know, catch three or four balls a game and then one or two special players. And thankfully, TCU has one or two special players and maybe four at that position. Maybe. We'll see. Uh, Jalen Rager's back. He is one of the fastest players in college football. He is a beast. Um, his dad was a defensive player, played in the NFL, and he plays wide receiver like a defensive lineman. Um, he is just angry okay. and physical. Um, he, you know, last year against SMU, kind of his breakout moment was at the end of the half. TCU had been trailing and been playing really, really poorly in that game, and he went up over the entire SMU defense which is the equivalent to like two players, but it's fine. Um, and <laughs> plucked the ball out of the sky just while everyone else was had landed. He was just reaching his peak. Um, he's a, a state triple jump champion, long jump champion, just an insane, insane athlete. And he is going to be better this year. And I think that he'll work really well with Robinson, assuming Robinson can deliver the ball. Um, in addition to him, Kevontae Turpin somehow is still how is, in college. Yeah, yeah, how is he? He, he feels like I've been covering that guy for six yeah. years. Now. Yeah, he's, I think he's got a kid in the freshman class. Yeah, well, he's, he's a senior, but they were, were looking like a four-star recruit. So, um, But, yeah, he's only a true senior. He's never had a redshirt year, um, so he feels like he's been around forever. But he obviously is a special player. And the nice thing about a guy like him, he doesn't have to run a 12-yard route to pick up 20 yards. Uh, you can dump the ball off to him a lot of different ways. You can get it to him in the backfield, and he can make things happen with it. And that's the best weapon that you can give a young quarterback. Um, the guy that I'm really excited about is Omar Manning. He redshirted last year after getting banged up in camp, but he was a little bit more highly thought of than even Rager coming out of high school, and he's a little bit bigger of a guy, too. He looks like he has a chance to be a special player. Um, and then I know you want to talk a little bit about early enrollees, but I'll, I'll kind of tip my cap a little bit on that one. Tay Barber is a guy that Gary Patterson talked about the same way he talked about Kevontae Turpin as a true freshman, and you just don't hear him do that very often. When he does, it usually pans out. Um, plus, you have guys like Jalen Austin and Jarrison Stewart coming back. You have a couple of pretty solid juniors that run good routes that can make things happen. Um, we may even employ a tight end this year. What? I haven't seen it in a while Yeah, around TCU, but there's a couple really intriguing young guys that could have impacts, including a JUCO transfer. Um, so I think the wide receiver position is probably the strongest of any position group for TCU this year, um, but it's young. And it's a little bit unproven. And so the talent is there, the athleticism. This is the most athletic group of wide receivers we've ever had at one time at TCU. And that includes the years when we had Doxson and Enlisted B. Um, they've got size. You know, they've got speed. We'll see if they can deliver in those big moments. And that's the thing that you always have to wonder about when you put these young guys on the field. We know absolutely nothing about putting young guys on the field here yeah, at, right. at the yeah. Longhorn Republic. <laughs> uh, so... You know, when when you're trying to figure out who your go-to guys in the passing game, it, it's really helpful to have you know like a a good running game. And and a guy Texas fans are absolutely still having nightmares about uh, is Darius Anderson. Uh, yeah. That that ooh, I oh, I love him. <laughs> He's something special. I tell you that kid. Ooh. Woke up in cold sweats. Now, he did a year ago benefit from one of the most consistent offensive lines sure. in, in the conference, and that's another group that got hit hard by graduation. Uh, you know, what is, what is the, well, I guess it's a two-parter. We can give you two questions because that's a great way to ask this. Um, you know, what does the offensive line look like this season, and how is that going to impact, you know, a guy who's ultra-talented like Anderson uh, moving forward and trying to close out his career? That I mean, that's a great question, um, and I think it's the question that most people – it's the reason most people are saying that TCU is maybe a middle-of-the-pack, upper-middle-of-the-pack team in the Big 12 just because there are a lot of unknowns in the offensive line. Um, the nice thing for the Frogs is why they do graduate four of their five starters, most of the guys that, that are going to step up into those roles have quite a bit of experience. Um, the Frogs were hit hard by injury a year ago. 
Um, it feels like every every year that's the case for everybody in the Big 12, despite the fact that, you know, we don't play physical football like the SEC. No, not at all. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I think that, that we've got some guys coming in that, that are that have played before that are going to be ready to step into roles. Um, Cordell Iwagawu comes back as a starter. Lucas Niang started quite a few games before he had some injury issues. Um, you've got really nice role, role players and Trey Elliott who can play a couple of different positions um, among the offensive line. You've got uh, Chris Gaynor, who is a guy who was, you know, highly touted coming out of Juco ball, um, who looks like he's ready to step into a bigger role, hopefully this year. Um, Yang, I mean, he should be a first or second team all-conference player. He just hasn't been able to consistently put it together, but he has the tools. I mean, he's a 6'7", 330-pound dude playing tackle um he can he can do some damage on that front line and then one of the really intriguing guys for me is, is david bolasomi um he's been hurt for most of his career but he is he, big size he's a guy that that frogs have wanted to get on the field and they just haven't been able to consistently do it he could absolutely be a difference maker um the biggest question mark is going to be at center and is that going to be the redshirt freshman out of alito west harris or is it going to be kelton hollins who's kind of the the heir apparent um and then the other kind of wild card there is Anthony McKinney, who was one of the top offensive linemen, uh, Juco linemen in the country, committed to the Frogs. He was an early enrollee as well. He should be a plug-and-play from day one player for TCU. And if he can step into one of those tackle spots, it really shores up the line. And I I, I will hesitate to say that, that they'll be better than last year. Um, they're probably more talented up and down, but it takes time for lines to gel. Oh, yeah. uh, it takes time for that experience, and, and especially against some of the defensive fronts they're going to see early. Um, there's a lot of – there's plenty of reasons to have questions about how they're going to perform. Um, I think – I will say this. I think they'll be just fine as long as they keep the penalties down. They won't be great early, but I don't think they'll hold Anderson back from being successful in the rest of the running game. Yeah, and we've we've seen in Austin the uh, the time it can take sometimes a line to gel, and sometimes I think that's that's four years. But uh, honestly, we're, we're all we're all rooting for you that that comes together about five weeks into the season. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. But uh, but I think the offensive side of the ball sounds like y'all are just ultra loaded. But I am curious about the defense because both uh, last year while y'all had success on both sides of the ball, UT really just had to hang our hat on on defense, um, and you know it. it it was clearly a best and second best uh, in the Big 12 last year with TCU in Texas. And as weird as that is to say, it was fun defensive football um, to watch the two. But uh, there was a lot of upperclassmen last year. You know, you had some guys get drafted, Trayvon Howard. Um, is this a is this another sign of, uh, I like Daryl said, the, the graduation bug, which is a hilariously, uh, hilariously college football thing to say. But, you know, guys, guys who the attrition of graduation or um, just, just going pro. Uh, is this, how much does it, does it turn over or how much does it just reload and go? You know, it's it's been interesting because it's been very rare that, that Gary Patterson hasn't been able to find pieces that work in his system consistently, even in a conference like the Big 12 that's so successful offensively. Um, if you look at what TCU's done for most of their six-year run in the conference, um, for most of the, except for one season, I think they've finished in the top two or three every other year. Um, and so you have to have confidence in Patterson as a defensive coach and as a recruiter that he's going to find the guys that he needs. Um, this defense will make or break the offense too, just just to be honest in that way, because we do still have a young offensive line and a you know an un, unproven quarterback, and so a lot of pressure is going to fall on that defense. And so that means again, a lot of young guys are going to have to step up. Um, Patterson has never been able to recruit the types of guys that he's been recruiting in the last two years, and so he's. Um, you know, he's bringing in a more talented player, a bigger player, a faster player, and trying to get them to fit into his system while also kind of, you know, dotting it with some of his patented two-star, no-star, former quarterback, former running back guys mm-hmm. that that yeah. he just plugs and plays and, and makes into super-duper stars on the defensive uh, side of the ball. So uh, losing a guy like Trayvon Howard, uh, you can't really replace that production. Um, you know, you also had Matt Boson, who who was a I think he was an undrafted free agent. Um, you know, these are guys that that were just super super productive. But two huge things happened for TCU, and one was that Ben Banigou, who Mel Kiper had rated I think in a, as a first rounder in his big board at defensive end, decided to come back. That's mm-hmm. massive. And then the other kind of late surprise that we got was Jawan Johnson, who was one of the most productive linebackers in the country for Northern Illinois, decided as a grad transfer to come to TCU. So um, you hope that he can kind of match the production a little bit of Traven Howard. He's not going to know the defense as well. You know, he's not going to have been in that system as long. 
but he's a guy that can make plays um, just up and down the field. So he should be a nice fit. Ty Summers comes back. Uh, he's one of the mm-hmm. smartest, um, has one of the highest football IQs of, of anybody that you're going to see at that position. So he's a huge impact player. Um, there's a couple really interesting prospects, and Garrett Wallow, who's a sophomore, uh, Montrell Wilson, who is so talented but cannot for the life of them stay healthy. He's yeah. a really nice fit in the middle. Um, and then at corner, um, you know, I think one of the most underrated players in the Big 12 has been Anthony Tejada. Uh, most people just think of him against Iowa State where he just got manhandled by their basketball centers yep. um, on the edges. But, you know, he, he really shored up the back end of that defense, and it's going to be up to Jeff Gladney, who's uber-talented, but again has been banged up. Julius Lewis, uber-talented, again has been banged up. Um, those two guys are really going to have to step up big to go along with some of the younger players. Um, Matanza Vonger is a really interesting prospect at safety. Um, you've got our Darius Washington is a true freshman who's undersized, but just athletic. Uh, Kerry Johnson is another redshirt freshman who looks like he could be a, an impact player for TCU. Um, and then they'll join um, Nico Small, Markel Simmons, Vernon Scott, and his gains, uh, guys that have been making plays at the back end of that defense for a couple of years now. And they should be okay. <laughs> They should yeah. be okay. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's, it's that same thing. It, if, if they don't stay healthy, some of these true freshmen, redshirt freshmen, are going to have to step in in some important positions, and that could really uh, spell trouble for, for the Frogs. And against Texas, which should have a, a much more consistent offense and, and a lot of the other teams in the league as well. Well, and I, I will say it's a little bit unfair how you reload uh, names as well. Ranthony was one of my favorites in the country last year, and you get to replace him with a guy like Ennis Gaines, which I just think is sounds like just a good old-fashioned whip-your-butt kind of la- like first and last name combo. <laughs> well, um, and, and so. he, he had a coming-out party against Stanford in the Alamo Bowl. Um, mm-hmm. He was all over the place. He's just a hard hitter, just kind of a nasty guy um, who looks like he's, he's going to be the next great safety. But, yeah, the, we've got some all-name team guys coming through this year. Quazel White, that's one of my personal favorites. That's I mean, phenomenal. Some, yeah, Isaiah Philitikatonga, uh, you know, that's a really, really good one. I mean, strong. Yeah, there's we've got some strong, some strong here on the uh, on the name. Caleb Biggers, I've never even heard that name, but I kind of love it. So, you know, there's some good ones. That's <laughs> phenomenal. Okay, so so last serious question, and then we'll have a little bit of fun. Uh, so with uh, with TCU's recruiting you, you mentioned you know early enrollees you mentioned the JUCO transfer so of of the guys that are on campus i guess we're on campus early now everybody's on campus doing these air quotes voluntary team workouts <laughs> um, who who should fans expect to see uh, suiting up cuz you know Patterson got some names in this class and we've yeah. seen what Patterson can do without names so who who should fans expect to see uh, suiting up and and uh, playing some big minutes on on a saturday so of the true freshmen, who I'm assuming is, is kind of what you're interested in, um, yeah. the, the Tay Barber, Ty Barber is, uh, is one of the guys that I am super, super excited about. Um, again, like if Patterson's talking about you as a true freshman, you've got to mm-hmm. have something going right. Um, another one at wide receiver, I cannot believe I didn't mention him, is Tavalence Hunt. He's a six foot two guy out of uh, Texas high school. So he's, he's been wearing that longhorn. You know, he'll have a little something extra for that game. Um, <laughs> Big guy, super fast, just infectious personality. He's going to be beloved by TCU fans. And if he produces on the field, he's going to have a chance to be, like, super beloved. Um, and he, he's a guy, like, a 4-3-40. I mean, he's just fast as all get out, runs great routes, and just can really track the ball in the sky. He has a chance to be something just really, really good. Um, so I'm excited to see what, what he can do. Um, you know, on, on the uh, defensive side of the ball, uh, ben Wilson, the linebacker out of Washington, is a really intriguing guy. He looks um, like uh, uh, who is the guy for the, the the blonde hair that played for the Packers, Clay um, Clay Matthews. Clay yes, Matthews? Yeah. yeah, he looks. I mean, could be like long lost twins with Clay Matthews. Um, <laughs> so he's he's a guy that just looks like he's going to be a really good player at TCU, but we've never seen a play. So who knows? Um, so so he's another one. And then the other one um, that I think that people really need to pay attention to is you know we've already talked about how great Darius Anderson is at running back, but he can't do it by himself. He was hurt last year. Uh, Shewu Olenlua is a guy who has not quite reached his potential. But Fabian Franklin is a true freshman. He was a late flip from, I think, Mississippi State um, at running back. He's a big guy at 5'11", 270 pounds, or 207 pounds, not 270. That'd be a really big guy. That'd be massive, um, yeah. 
Um, and, and I think he's going to play a lot as a true freshman. And if that offensive line is good enough, uh, he could be a great kind of uh, counter to um, to Darius Anderson out of the backfield and Shea Wu and, and really make that running game something special. And Franklin, it looked like you guys were down to the wire with, with LSU. Yeah. And LSU knows a little yeah. bit about uh, – about running back. So if you're in a, if you're in a head to head with them for a running back, there's probably some good things in that <laughs> yeah, guy's future. Not a bad, not a bad battle to win there. You know, you're doing something right. Absolutely. All right. So this, this brings us to my personal favorite part of each of these interviews. I like to talk X's and O's. That stuff's fine. What I really like to get is I like to get you to give me a little bit, uh, a little bit of color to go with. This is what the people are tuning in for. So we like to play a little game with our guests uh, that goes, goes along the lines of over, under or appropriately rated so we're going to list you off a few items and you just tell us if you think they are overrated underrated or appropriately rated does that sound all right Sounds great. so, so we'll, we'll jump right off with a, what i think is an easy one overrated underrated appropriately rated wearing visors oh totally overrated <laughs> <laughs> Patterson wears them sometimes, but uh, I just I think there's a certain guy that can wear a visor, and it's always that guy I hate. Like it's like Cliff Kingsbury. <laughs> like that dude should always be rocking a visor. Like Tom Herman, you got and and Lincoln Riley. Like they're too good of coaches. They need to get away from the visors. Just go with the hat. Okay, I like that. And and I think I think a visor pairs really well with the sweat towel though. Oh well, you know, I mean, sweat towel is completely underrated. Like, if you can have your own like sweat towel carrier, you've done something right in life, right? Oh man, <laughs> that took a hard left turn into Weirdsville for just a second. Uh, so uh, Patterson's a quirky dude, we know. <laughs> we, you may have tipped your hand on this one already as well, uh, but overrated, underrated, or appropriately rated, Chris Del Conte. You know what? Um, he's appropriately rated. Uh, as much as like there's a little sour grapes obviously for for him leaving TCU he left the frogs in an amazing position um you've got Jim Schlossnagel who we, we thought we were going to lose this spring but yeah. Jeremiah came through at the end here but Gary Patterson Jamie Dixon um you've got a great volleyball coach and Joe Kramer who's a former frog you've got Dave Didi at tennis who's a former frog um you've got people that love the TCU community coaching at TCU and holding important roles um and so he did so much for TCU at a vulnerable time. I don't think we're in the Big 12 if it's not for CDC. Um, I don't think we have the stadium renovation as quickly as possible if not for him. And he, he left Jeremiah Donati, our new AD, in an absolute positive, uh, perfect position for success. And Donati has taken it and run with it. So um, sucks to see him in burnt orange. Uh, definitely upset about that. But but he, I had a lot of interactions with, with Chris Del Conte. And, and the one thing that always impressed me is that he'd see me the other side of the basketball arena or walking around at a football game or whatever else. And he always came over, shook my hand, gave me a hug, asked how I was doing. Um, he's, he's a real good dude. And he's, he's, Texas got a good one and it sucks because it's just, he's just going to make Texas better and nobody at TCU <laughs> wants to see that. So of course, <laughs> I love it. I'll, Gerald, I'll let you get this next one. Cause I'm really savoring this last one for myself. Okay. So we'll do back to back. Overrated, underrated, appropriately rated. The world's largest honky tonk, Billy Bob's Texas. <laughs> I'm from California. Um, <laughs> walking into that place, um, Labor Day weekend, my freshman year of college, uh, did something to me that I'll never forget. Um, uh, it's definitely overrated, but it, you have to experience it. You know, okay. like. It's, it sucks and it's awful and it smells weird and it's crowded and odd people <laughs> try to dance with you um, and your feet stick to the floor because of the beer, but you got to experience it. Like I just don't leave it on the regular rotation. Okay. That's, that's very fair. Yeah. That's, that's a well-rounded analysis of Billy Bob's. I feel like that's yeah. good. <laughs> I yeah, didn't put and, on my Billy Bob's analysis of my football. Shoot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, honestly, Gerald and I are both from Central Texas. Grew up just a few minutes down the down the street from Green Hall, and have, have made our way through the smaller dance halls. So Billy Bob's just feels like a. It's almost like the equivalent of going from like a TCU stadium into Jerry World. It's just like, what the heck are all these people doing here? Gone wrong. Yeah. And now at my, you know, as I'm getting older, I'd prefer the smaller venues for sure. For sure. All right, so the last one. This one, I'm I'm just very curious to hear your your kind of thoughtful and nuanced answer. Um, overrated, underrated, or appropriately rated? Dallas. Oh, totally overrated. I hate that place. <laughs> <laughs> Dallas is the worst. <laughs> 
That's that's exactly what I was hoping you would say. I, I live in Houston. I'm from San Antonio, so I, I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, perfect answer. <laughs> yes, I, I fell in love with Fort Worth. I had never been to the state of Texas when I came out to visit TCU. I don't even know how I found it. Um, I am a Fort Worth girl through and through, other than having not having been born here. It is it is the worst. So, all right, wait, can, can I turn this on you guys? Can I ask you one? Because this is the biggest debate amongst my friends and myself and amongst the Frogs of War community and myself. And that is overrated, underrated, appropriately rated Whataburger versus In-N-Out. Ooh. It's not really an over-under appropriate, but I'm just making it my own thing because I'm hijacking your show. Do you want to take this, Gerald? I will gladly jump in. I mean, I think Kyle and I are in agreement on this. I, I'm a Whataburger guy. I, I, I cannot. I. It's hard to beat Whataburger in my book. Like two a.m. after the bars, get me, get me a breakfast <laughs> on a bun. Fair. That's that's college for me. Yes, that's that sums fair. it up. Here's what I'll say: is is overrated for sure. Was In and Out the first time I got Ooh. there? Um, it it it. it yeah, it crushed me that it, it wasn't, you know, I, I wanted it to be LeBron James and actually live up to the hype or Franklin Barbecue. Very few things actually do. So maybe if it was just a place I stumbled upon, I would feel differently. But uh, from California so long, I'd heard so much. Uh, when they finally came to Texas, I actually, um, I think it may have been at Gerald's bachelor party in I the DSW the first time I had in and out in the Dallas area um, and and was, was just wildly uh, under... I wasn't wild. I'll say that. Um, I, I do think it, Whataburger, because of the Texas connection, gets a few bumps from where it actually is. But I think Whataburger, the, the the well-rounded kind of the uh, – like you said about this TCU team, it has the burners. It has the superstars. But just the depth that they can bring off the bench with a breakfast on a bun, a honey butter chicken biscuit, a seasonal – you know, a seasonal uh, chicken tender sandwich, a, uh, you know, green hatch chili – burger you know they can really bring bring the depth to the game um where i think you know even if they're lacking a superstar at the at the moment at the top which i think their classic burger is is pretty close to a superstar uh you can you can come off the bench and do all right there that, that is was... honestly the greatest thing i've ever heard in my entire life you, you just you may have, you may have turned to me i don't know it may have happened in that um... moment I love it. Kyle, that that was my bachelor party. That was the uh what felt like the world's longest rain delay TCU Texas game. Oh, uh, I remember that game. I, I think I think Texas actually won one of those. That was like the five years ago the last time we won. So yep. Case yeah, McCoy was, magic. That game. It was rough. That was a rough, rough night. That just means we'll need to meet you there this year. We're bringing Gerald back to get another get another Texas win. Yeah, we'll see. Oh, man. Well, Melissa, thank you so much for for joining us. This has been a blast. Where can folks find you on the internet? I am at at the Coach Melissa, um, obviously, and also at Frogs of War. You can find me there um, and and, uh, doing some tweeting and making people angry at the In-N-Out debate and generally just raising heck for the fun of it. That's that's the best thing to do in the world. Well, again, thank you so much uh, for joining us. This has been an absolute pleasure. I appreciate you guys having me on. I had a blast. So another quick hit news. You know, after a shakeup in the uh, track and field uh, space as far as coaching goes, Texas announced it has hired its new track and field head, head coach, Edric Florial. Florial, I'm not sure how he pronounced it, but Edric Florial. So he uh, he's coached Stanford and then uh, over at Kentucky as well, and done some amazing things over there. Um, you know, Kentucky's women to finish in the top four uh, in the outdoor NCAA second uh, in 2015, fourth in 2017, and fourth in 18. The men are always a, a top program as well. So Kyle, I know you've done a bit of digging uh, on this new coach. What what does he bring to the table for? Uh, for the Longhorns. Yeah, for real, I think he's going to be a great coach. Um, <laughs> That's a dad joke in honor of Father's Day. Uh, oh, yeah, happy Father's Day to all our fathers listening to this podcast. What are you doing with your lives? Um, we, uh, yeah, he he really, I mean, he was a great coach at Stanford, litany of all Americans, and when he made the jump across the country, um, it was kind of a shock, not that he left because he was a commodity, but where he went, um, he took a Kentucky Wildcats program that wasn't, really on the board and turn them into a perennial uh, contender. He's known um, as a specialist and in, in kind of created Hurdlers U out there. Um, and it's it's a cool thing. He's had national champions in, in the Hurdle, Olympians in the Hurdle. Um, and there's a cool kind of atmosphere in their program because as these, these 
kind of athletes went pro, um, especially the women's hurdlers went pro, they would stick around and work out with the young kind of runners. And, and in that atmosphere, you know, was one of the one of the kind of really big things that they got um, and, and was a good recruiting point. Well, I think he's he said in his press conference they'll all be coming with him. So it's almost like Texas kind of cashing in on another school's uh, another school's riches, which I'm all here for. Um, so, you know, not only do are we the Joneses with our own riches, but we, you know, borrow from others and uh, and, and buy uh, buy uh, buy high, Instant you know, buy, buy with, with good collateral. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Yeah, so Texas, you know, has been a – I don't want to call them a track power, but they've been a track player for quite some time. And so uh, it's another uh, coaching coup by Del Conte. I say another coaching coup. The expected coaching coups from from Chris Del Conte, as you heard mentioned in our interview, and then what Del Conte will continue to do as he builds out this athletic department. Yeah, and and again, just just quickly, like we got Shaka Smart, who's coaching kind of the youth basketball, and and I like that we have – those type of people who are on the national level, um, Coach Coach Floreal was uh, the U.S. Men's National Coach for the 2015 World Championships, and also uh, coached the I believe jumps and multi events uh, coach for the 2012 London Olympics for Team USA. So um, a guy who's seen people go all the way from you know the high school level to uh, the global competition level. I think that just adds one more piece uh, at Texas of of you know recruiting and also just developing these these athletes. If Eddie Reese was still coaching the uh, USA swim team, it would Texas would probably have the most NCAA. Uh, or U.S. coaches at an NCAA school. I don't know. That's just that's just wishful thinking. But that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in college sports, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Um, I'm going back to Texas basketball. I think I've banged the drum a couple times uh, lately couple, yeah. on, on, the, on the round ball. Um, so Texas had a pretty good guy this year who we're all sad to go, but we knew it about the six minutes on campus. Mo, uh, Mo Bamba, my boy. Love that guy. Um, he he was kind of a lottery pick from the moment he stepped foot on campus, but his his stock is currently uh, skyrocketing. And recently in the NBA Combine workout, um, he showed out. Um, he's his stock is is following the the measurables that people have seen. Um, so aside you know from just being a big dude, he uh, is seven foot uh, ten wingspan is the longest wingspan in, in NBA combine history. Uh, he also had a standing reach of nine feet, seven and a half inches, <laughs> which if you remember guys, the, the sport is played on a 10 foot hoop. So, you know, that's, that's pretty good. Um, pre- pretty close to the, the tip top there, maybe tiptoes you can dunk, which, you know, must be fun. Um, that, which is the second, uh, second tallest standing reach in, in combine history. But the thing that really impressed me and Gerald and I were talking about before the show, he, showed how much of an athlete he is. And we know the guy's a, a smart guy, you know, and coaches have fallen in love. There's been multiple articles written about just kind of the way he talks and the way he looks at life. But, uh, you know, he, he does a little more than, than just be a big guy who's, who's lovable. He showed some speed out there. So he, uh, in his three-quarter uh, court sprint, he posted a 3.04 second time, which is faster than, I don't know, just a couple guys you may have heard of, like uh, Bodie, Mr. Russell Westbrook, um, John Wall, a guy who's lightning fast on the basketball court and um, probably the, the most improved and, and kind of newest stup- superstar in the echelon after this season, uh, but a guy who's always been fast and been able to get to the hole, Mr. Victor Oladipo, all posted times slower than, again, human giant Mo Bamba. So excited to see how that translates. Maybe uh, that that projects him going you know i don't think he gets number one pick but two or three um maybe gets in that second spot you know it could be interesting so we'll be keeping a close eye on mr bomba you mentioned victor oladipo who is the the most recent in the i left the thunder and had a massive come up uh squad we can just leave that for another another podcast uh but yeah you know it's (laughs) it's hard to argue with the guy that runs you know faster than than point guards who's got a center's body now i will give the caveat that this was at a team workout and russell westbrook was timed at the combine blah 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 fast is fast being in the same sentence as russell westbrook as a center is just ridiculous that boy fast that boy is fast so my bang the drum this week is going a little more global uh, then Kyle, so this week the NCAA announced that it will be changing its transfer rules uh, to be more athlete-friendly, which 
I'm on board for. And so now they have what they're referring to as a notification of transfer model, basically meaning that a student athlete needs to simply inform its his school, his current school, that of his his or her desires to transfer, and then the school has to put out there that this yeah this athlete wants to transfer on uh, I guess kind of the national transfer database is what it's called uh, within two business days, and once the student's athlete's name is there. Any coach can reach out to him without restriction from the school. You know, we can think back to uh, there was a player that said, you know, Bill Snyder um, blocked like 35 schools from a player or, you know, you can't transfer in the conference or all you can't transfer to our rival, blah, blah, blah. So from a global perspective, now schools cannot uh, block a player's transfer. They just have to simply say, okay. We'll put you on the database. Uh, now, conferences, you know, within this can make uh, more stringent rules, but from the NCAA standpoint, uh, schools can no longer put those major restrictions on a uh, student athlete's transfer. Which, if we put the emphasis on student rather than athlete, like we should, then why has this not been the rule for since the dawn of time? I don't know how else to say it. Like. Um, I am I'm of the mind that if they are students first and athletes second which the verbiage has always been then treating them like normal students needs to be the thing. Now, um, you know, if coaches can uh, terminate a scholarship after a year which they a lot of coaches have the right to do, not many exercise because there would be a ton of bad press around it, but that is it's a year-to-year contract for coaches and now it can be a year-to-year contract for players and I'm you know, I'm not the guy who wants like all-out free agency in college football. That's not what I'm advocating for. But leveling the playing field for student-athletes, for me, is is never a bad decision. Yeah, and is I remember when we were in college and when uh, we were both in the uh, highly ranked um, Texas uh, College of Journalism, I remember when um, the Medill... Uh, school at Northwestern reached out and tried to recruit me away. Um, and Texas blocked that transfer. And I'm glad I did. I got to graduate a Longhorn. But, you know, you, you see those those academic blocks all the time. <laughs> oh, I'm man. kidding. I'm I don't kidding. even know what to do with that. I don't even know what to do with that. that so uh, that you can direct all uh, hate tweets at Kyle Carpenter on Twitter now. Uh, that's our <laughs> show for this week. Thank you so much for listening. And Kyle, I already spoiled it. Where can good folks find you on the internet? Uh, you can tweet all your hate tweets at me at gh good. No, um, you can you can tweet at me at Kyle Carpenter. Um, and as as heard in our interview, you can find me um, in your local Whataburger, my favorite uh, hamburger these days. Whataburger. <laughs> uh, it's a deep cut. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at gh goodrich. Again, if you have different opinions on on the NCAA transfer rule, let us know. You can tweet at the show at Longhorn Pod. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. Hook em.